else would you rather be than right here, right now? For Bills fans. By Bills fans. Only Buffalo is going to win it. This is the Buffalo Bills Draft House Podcast with Brad the Bruiser Icorn and Alex Jones. This place is pandemonium. Here's Brad the Bruiser Icorn. And welcome back for another edition of the Buffalo Bills Draft House Podcast. Brad the Bruiser Icorn alongside Alex Jones as uh, the Bills lost a uh, I don't know. Tough game Sunday night. I wasn't mad. I wasn't angry. I mean, they turned the ball over twice, but um, both good plays by the defense. I don't know. I wasn't upset with this loss in any way, and I'm not giving up on the season just yet. No, it was frustrating at times because it was one of those games that the Bells never felt like they were out. It also felt like they were never in. You know, he had a few mistakes that cost the game, and I mean, that's I think that's another thing Bills fans kind of need to get used to. Not every game is going to be like the Bills from 2020 where it was a blowout and you beat everybody by 50 points or, you know, yeah. those. there's going to be a lot of these close games. The The NFL has really had a lot of parity these past few seasons where, you know, like a lot of things in life, there's years where there's four teams who have 13 wins and then I think this year is going to be one of those years like the number one seed is going to be whoever can go 11 and 5. You know, outside of the Eagles right now, nobody looks like they're world beaters. Um, So I think it's just whoever can get hot at the end of the season will be it. And you know what? This one didn't go Buffalo's way, but it's also not one of those times. It's like, hey, all is lost. This team is bad. It's just like this team is just needs to find a little cohesiveness almost like you know, like I would have loved to hear about a players-only meeting this week with the off, with the you know, just with the team, um, or some you know, something like that. It's a reset, as it were, because it feels like this team is very disjointed, specifically on the offense. The defense, you can't really complain about. Um, they were down to like third stringers at the end of the game, and they held Cincinnati and stopped the move and got the ball back to the offense. Um, twice, and then the final one was just an unlucky play where it's 50-50 and Joe Mixon's just an all-star running back. So I, I agree, Brad. It, it, it was disappointing and it hurt a lot, but it also isn't a time where you're like, this season's over, it's atrocious, we need to fire everybody, even though that's everybody's initial inclination. I think the Bills are going to get healthy at the right time that um, you know, this team hasn't even slightly peaked. And people could go point back at the Miami game and say they peaked too soon. I don't think that was them peaking at any chance there. I I, I think that, um, you know, if some of these players come back, if Milano comes back, if Daquan Jones comes back, you know, hopefully Terrell Bernard's not out for any extent here. Um, you know, I, I really think that this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with, but they're still – finding their footing at least offensively, it seems like, under Ken Dorsey. And one thing I wanted to point out in that game was I like that they finally ran a trick play. It didn't work, but we haven't seen any creativity or anything fun, like the kind of little gadget plays that every now and then Brian Dable would sprinkle in. Didn't see anything like that, I think, until that play, unless there's anything I'm missing, Alex. 
No, uh, uh, the only one I can kind of think of is the one in the Giants game they scored with Deontay Hardy, where it was like a, a designed, schemed up kind of thing. But even mm. that, it, 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 I in would all call honesty, that super and I've said this, though. yeah, and, and it is one of those things where I, I've been saying it for quite a while, and I think this game kind of proved my theory, which was McDermott has his hands on the offense than ever before in the Bills' history. Um, in the, with his time with the Bills, I should say. Because um, you see them come out and they play aggressive. They play at the opposing defense. They're up-tempo, high speed. And then all of a sudden, after like three series where it's tied up, the run game starts to appear, but not in the creative way it has in you know in the past. Um, the team starts to really slow down and everything. And, and, and so I, I think what needs to happen is McDermott just needs to get out of the kitchen. Like I understand he's the head coach and he, you know, you want your head coach's input on everything. But at the same time, like you can clearly see there's meddling happening. There's offensive, um, whatever the opposite of cohesion is where you see these it's sort of like the offense is dr jekyll and mr hyde when we play this up-tempo offense and i think it actually you kind of heard that in mcdermott's press conference where he's like well we wanted to see different a different type of offense and it's like who wanted to because you have stefan diggins and josh allen who are still top five in receiving yards and catches and yards passed and touchdowns and all those things. You also have, but you also have an offense that's severely underperforming. So you kind of have to look around and go, okay, what's happening? And it's like, well, they look really good when they're running no huddle offense and like a high concept spread. They do. They just genuinely do look really good while doing that. They don't look good when they get in this weird plotting offense that almost doesn't even look like the offense like it, like it literally looks like someone else is calling the offense that's because i think they are well denver i hate saying this i almost feel like a broken record that i you know i've i've said you know this is a game to get their footing back and i've said that you know with the giants in tampa bay of course another game to get their footing back with denver coming up here and uh you know a team that has shown signs. Obviously, they beat Kansas City just a couple weeks ago, but a team that is still, I think, in transition and still not very good under Sean Payton. How do you assess this game coming in on Monday night here for the Buffalo Bills? It, it's a must win. Um, you know, you hate slapping that early in the season, but it is the truth. It's a team, you know, it's, it's a must win game. Um, AFC game, I mean, there's a lot that AFC goes into game. it. It also turns it turns them from a winning record to a 500 record, and that that really can hurt your chances. It hurt so them in the divisional I, I, race, right? I mean, yes, and it can hurt you in the wild card race as well. So I think you just got you know where this team lacks, you know where this team is lacking and where this team is good, and you got to defend the things they do well. Um, they have a good wide receiving core. Their offensive line is a little suspect. Their defense at times is suspect. Um, and you just got to go in there and really prove you're the better team. Because if you lose this game, 
it starts to become a legitimate issue if you're going to be even in the race for the playoffs. We'll see if the Buffalo Bills can pull off a W coming up Monday night at Highmark Stadium, a game that will be televised across the country on uh, ESPN on Monday Night Football. You can find us online, drafthousesports.com. Find Alex at DHS. Follow me at Bills Bruiser. Follow the site here at DHS Buffalo and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Buffalo Bills Drafthouse. All right. Let's run through the injury report as we go into this uh, now mid-season game here in Week 10. And uh, right now, um, is there anyone that at least that you're concerned before I just dive right into it? Because uh, right now we have five questionable here. Micah Hyde, Christian Benford, Terrell Bernard, A.J. Klein and Balen Spector. I think Bernard, I think, is the one that stands out the most. That, you know, he's their signal caller. He's come in and I I don't want to say outplay Tremaine Edmonds, but the splash plays. No, no, no. no, Can I say it? I'm allowed. I can. All right. He's what we always wanted Tremaine Edmonds to be. And he doesn't have the physical traits that Tremaine is, but he has been balling out. And it's just been fantastic. I completely agree, Brad. It, it has been, um, he has been probably the one of the best, if not the best Bills player this year. Um, certainly most improved. Um, and I mean, he's also not a small guy, right? Like, Tremaine Edmonds yeah. has those insane intangibles. Bernard, 6'1", 225. Um, but he plays like he's 6'6", 250. Whereas Edmonds always kind of played like he was 6'1", 225. So I, I think it's kind of, it is it is one of those times where that's your guy, right? You can kind of find space. You can kind of get away with Micah. You can, you know, he's an integral part of your defense. But if, if we're being honest with ourselves, the safeties have not looked the same this year. Both Hoyer and Hyde have looked slow. They haven't made the game-changing plays they've made in the past. Um, and it, it's just been a tough season for that. You know, it's just been, and I think both of them would say this isn't exactly how they wanted this year to go for them. Um, so Hyde is is an issue, obviously. Poyer is a bigger issue. Legitimately, Poyer is a, or sorry, not Poyer. Um, Bernard is a legitimate issue because he is a guy who comes in and changes the game for your team. Yeah. You know, he's a dude that can... He is a game changer. Without Milano on the field, he might be your most impactful defender. Um, just because of what he does in the blitz game, what he can do at pass coverage, uh, just everything he brings, a sense of stability to that defense. And not having him would be huge. Obviously, Christian Benford as well has played very well this season. Yes. Um, match up well against Jerry Judy. Portland Sutton, those guys. But with the trade of Rasul Douglas, you feel a little more comfortable with him being out simply because Dane Jackson has played well. He got picked on at times last game, but he's played well. Um, and it's just one of those times where you need you need him to play another top game like he has been because getting Benneford healthy for the long haul, which he hasn't really been able to do since being with the Bills, um, is of paramount importance. Um, let's see if we can just go ahead and we'll pull on to the 
Denver side of this one. Uh, looking at the injuries for the Broncos right now. No one questionable listed as of this moment. Um, I know there's you know, a couple players on this roster out for the year right now. Uh, but uh, no report yet on Denver right now. I'm going to do a little more digging into that. But, uh, I mean, who, who I think, I'll ask you, Alex, who poses a threat on this Broncos team to the Bills uh, coming up here on uh, Monday? I mean, first and foremost, offensively is their wide receiving core. They have a good wide receiving core. Um, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, um, Noah Fant has had a bit of a career resurgence. And those guys are a bit of a, you know, they're good offense. Russell Wilson may be playing himself out of the Hall of Fame, legitimately, like may be playing himself out, but he is still a Super Bowl champion, a multi-time Super Bowl goer and still yeah. a Super Bowl champion. Yeah. Um, the defense, it has some excellent players as well. Um, the one that comes to mind is Patrick Sertan, um, you know, an all-pro all corner, top 10 draft pick. Um, but this is a team that I think matches well against what Buffalo wants to do. Uh, if I, I think it comes down to genuinely is, does McDermott continue to meddle? Does McDermott continue to be like, hey, we need to play conservative? Because it feels like McDermott's whole mantra his philosophical, if you boil it down as a defensive coach, is I can win us a 24 17 football game. Right? I can, if we just hold that the ball like season and one. We drain the clock. Yeah. That is, I feel like, the purest McDermott wants to do it. Season one, season two, when we beat the Colts like 16 13. However, in a blizzard, you have that. Yeah. You have a Lamborghini in the garage in Josh Allen. He is a highly tuned, high-performance vehicle. Like, you have a ultra, ultra sports car there, and you're trying to drive it like it's a Toyota Corolla, and you can't do that. You cannot drive a high-performance vehicle like it's just a regular sedan. There's certain things you have to do with those supercars to have them perform at a high level. And I think that McDermott has almost flipped on himself where for years, I think that's why Dable and McDermott have such a frayed relationship is Dable essentially was like, let me run the offense. We're doing well. We're winning. And McDermott's like, but you're not doing it right. And you're, you're one-sided. You're this, you're that. I could defeat you doing this. And it's like, yeah, but you're not going against Josh yet. Yeah. Yes, you can do things to slow him down. You cannot stop him if you let him play the way he wants to play. And I think, in all honesty, that's what's holding them back is McDermott is trying to have Josh Allen play like Alex Smith. You know, like, uh, he, hey, I want him to be a field general, and that's not who he is. He is Brett Favre. Let him go out there and sling the rock. Will he throw two picks? Sure. But you know what else he's going to do? He's going to rush for 100 yards, throw for 304 TDs. So you go, okay, I'll take the good with the bad. Because you can't you can't pen him in forever. And unfortunately, what we're seeing when you try to pen him in for too long, it's almost like a little kid like where you're like, have him in, in an uncomfortable situation. They just kind of lash out. And you saw that with the throw to Gabe Davis. 
Gabe Davis was never open on the play. They were in cover two trail. Cornerback just sat on it the entire way. Even if Josh let him, the safety was picking it off. It was not going in. But it's because it felt like you could kind of read Josh's language. He's like, I got to make a play. I got to show coach I can go out there and play. And I don't need to be this field general. And you're trying to turn someone against their nature. You have Stefan Diggs. You have Gabe Davis. You have Dalton Kincaid, James Cook. You have all these le- weapons, even Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield, Khalil Shakir. You have one of the best, if not the best, offense in the NFL. So let them do their thing. Let them play fast. Let them play loose. Let them just go out there and sling the rock. Let them be that. Because if you're not going to let the, that offense play the way they need to, you are not going to win. It's just the case. You're pushing someone against their nature. And when you do that, you're going to get burned. What do you think they have to do fundamentally in this one um, from a defensive standpoint? Because, you know, I I didn't see a ton of missed tackles. Uh, you know, Von Miller obviously didn't take down Mixon down the stretch. There was stuff like that, but no major yeah, but ice. I'm going to be honest, like, I'm going to be honest with you, Brad. The defense at third strings along the secondary held a number one overall pick quarterback, mm-hmm. a number three overall pick wide receiver, and a basically first round wide receiver in T. Higgins. Fair. Yep. No, okay. And, and Joe I don't Mixon, disagree. who should have been a first rounder, to a great, like a a very like very much limited performance. They forced them into places they didn't want to go and took them to the deep waters. And so I think you just need to see the same from the defense. The defense just needs to keep executing their game plan. This is what, honestly, McDermott defenses have been why he was so successful as a coordinator. Because he's able to get the most out of the least. He is, at his core, able to drag guys and put them in positions to succeed where others have failed. Like, he is just one of those dudes who can do that. And so the defense just kind of needs to keep doing what it's doing. In all honesty, this Broncos O-line is a little bit worse than some of the O-lines the Bills have faced. And I expect a lot of defensive pressure. I expect some blitzes make Russell Wilson feel uncomfortable. Because that's when Russell Wilson has had bad games this year. When you put him in a position to feel uncomfortable, that's what I expect the Bills to do. A lot of pressure, a lot of getting in his face, hitting him early and often. And it's one of those games you're like, I wouldn't even be super mad with a with an early roughing the passer call. Like a, hey, we're here. Just to let you know we're here. In hockey, it's like an early roughing minor. You know, you take an early penalty to show them physically you're stronger and meaner than they are. The Buffalo Bills take on the Denver Broncos. That game comes up on Monday Night Football. Another primetime game here for the Bills. Uh, you'll be televised on ESPN. I believe this one I sh- should be on the Manning cast, I think, as well. Re- resumes this week. Thank goodness. I mean, if I was at home, I'd be watching the Manning cast because, yeah, I, I'm i sorry. I cannot stand Joe Buck. I, I don't like him announcing at any single point. And that's just a personal preference. Have your own opinion, but... I can't stand it that the Manning cast, it was my savior that week one game. If that week one, if I had to listen to Joe Buck that whole game, I wouldn't have even made it to overtime to keep watching that game. 
I don't mind Joe Buck as enough as much. I understand people who aren't as big of a fan. Um, personally, I don't mind him. Um, I don't mind like his style. I don't mind his style. I feel like he interjects personal feelings into his broadcast more than he should, and that's my issue. Yeah, and I think that's that that idea of that Fox broadcast, like man, uh, um, or not that Fox, the formerly Fox. Um, where he came from, where he, yeah, his mainstay. Aikman. Aikman's the same way. When you think about Aikman, you think about all those Cowboys games where he'd be like, you know, he'd be just kind of shooting the breeze and you definitely know his slant towards the Cowboys. He'd talk about it, and although it wasn't explicitly said, he'd be like, yeah, but I mean, you're rooting for him. So, it, I don't know, Brett. I think the anti-Steve Tasker. Because yeah. I love Steve Tasker. I love him to death. I think it's better for him that he's just doing local media because when he was on CBS, you always said it here on this podcast, he went out of his way to basically show that he had no Bills bias and became like anti-Bills. Yeah, and it's just, it's unfortunate, but it is what you need to do, right? Like when a guy, when you get accused of something like that, there's a lot of guys who, there's you know, there's two schools of thought. Either lean into it and be like, all right, People hate me either way, so you know what? I might as well garner the fans that I have. Or you go against it and alienate everybody because the people who are against you are still going to say, hey, that guy's, you know, he's rooting for the home team. If you say anything positive and if you, you know, are trying to give a fair and balanced broadcast, the home fans are going to hate you. So I, I kind of, it, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, People in Ohio would argue the same thing, you know, with Kirk Herbstreit. That's why he left town harassment from the Ohio State fans. I think he eventually moved back to Ohio, but um, because he was so even keel in the middle of the road that uh, Ohio State fans got on him and thought he was anti-Ohio State. I know you're not a fan, but just wanted to point that out. Uh, and going back to the Bills real quick, Brad, <laughs> I, I – you can have a lot of complaints is, about, of course. Yes. Well, it's it's ten percent a broadcasting podcast. It's you know it's ten percent. <laughs> yes, sir. And... Um, but Linball Linball Joseph looked like such a good. He looked so good in that Douglas. Game, you know, I mean, both one... those guys. Yeah, they came right in. They did, and I mean Linball Joseph. In all honesty, is a guy who I think is going to be one of those players going forward. Who teams who are like hopeful and need a little defensive tackle depth are going to be like he's just going to be a guy who's like yeah I got to work eight weeks a year, <laughs> you know like hey I'm just going to work I, I, I don't do the regular season I do the postseason stretch because he did it for the Eagles last year you know and he played very well. Can we can we call so, it a late season steal? Is it is that acceptable? Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, and so both Rasul Douglas and Linval Joseph played very well. Joseph yeah. had that very memorable play where he shot a single leg high crotch on Joe Burrow, oh, took him to the man. mat for two points. So, you know what? You, you can have complaints about McDermott. Bean has done his job. Oh, Bean put together a good right. roster. And you know what? It, it's, it is unfortunate some of the players that have been like Deontay Hardy feels a little bit like he's been left behind um that was a decent sized contract 
Um, and I know fans have a lot to complain about everything, but if you think the problem with this organization is Bean, you've clearly not seen how this structure is completed. Um, and the one thing looking forward is going to be very interesting to me is the contracts of Gabe Davis and A.G. Epinesa. If you had those two guys before this season, you asked fans, probably 100 out of 100 would have said, re-sign Gabe, let Epinesa go. So far this season, Epinesa's absolutely killed it. Gabe Davis hasn't really done much. Gabe Davis hasn't really put up many numbers. You know, he had a big game or two, but in all honesty, he hasn't done anything that impressive. And honestly, outside that playoff game, the game against the Steelers, he really hasn't done all that much to garner a big contract. So if you're looking at, you know what, we need to cost, save, measures, we need to choose one of these two guys to go, I I think you got to lean towards AJ Nepis, or, uh, Gabe Davis to go and re-sign AJ Epinesa. He's been playing so well. Agreed. He's looked like he's completely revamped his game, um, building off a great season he had last year. And so it is one of those things where I, I think you got to look at, if you're re-signing guys, AJ Epinesa. Another thing to look forward to, Brad, kind of just put in the back of your mind thinking about next season is the Bills are likely going to have to replace two safeties and a corner. They have Rasul Douglas for one more year. Christian Benefer probably Poyer fills for another one of those year. spots. Poyer signed a two-year deal, he, so he's got another year. He signed a two-year deal, but I'm pretty sure next year's side of the money is like nothing. And in all honesty, the way he's looked this year, I don't. I don't. If they were like, "Hey, we're going to save three million dollars cutting him," I'd be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." He, they just have not looked. I, I would not be shocked if Poyer and Hyde retire at the end of the season. Yeah, and it's just age has just caught up with him at this point, and they're not playing bad, but it's just time. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Honestly, Brad, it, it's you know what it is. It, you don't notice it often. But there was a few plays where it was like, ah, oh, three years ago, you would have made that play. Where yeah. it's like an outbreak yeah. out against a tight end, and they're just a half step behind. And that is one of those indicators for safeties that, you know what? Time is is going, it, it's going, it's, it's going to, it's coming for us all. And unfortunately, I think it's knocking at your door. And it's one of those things, you hate to see it because Poyer and Hyde, were the mainstays of this defensive unit. They were one of the key pieces to the rebuild of this franchise. However, you also have to, unfortunate, the unfortunate side of professional sports is it's a business. And that business is success on the field. So you know what? It, it might be time to just put in the back of your mind, both of those guys are probably going at the end of the season. And unless something significant changes, maybe they're both dealing with injuries, they're both banged up. I don't, I, I, I just don't see a path for them to both be on the team next year. I, I want to play a hypothetical, and this is going back more along the lines of our discussion on being a McDermott. Um, I have a good friend here, he's a Raiders fan, Mike Blake. Listener of the podcast, you had a chance to actually meet him at uh, uh, week one. 
Great guy. Week two, yeah. And uh, Mike and I laugh and joke and text all the time, and we were joking about the fact that he was on cloud nine the day that the Raiders decided to part ways with McDaniel. I know we discussed in our last podcast, McDaniel and the GM there both let go. And I said, hypothetically, if all worked out, We'll trade you Sean McDermott for Devontae Adams, and then we'll find a way to get Dable from the Giants to take over and then rebuild continuity and go from there. Here's the thing. I would not take that trade at all, ever. Okay. I I think McDermott is an incredibly good head coach. He also has built these defenses. This defense has taken a step up with less pieces this season. They look better than they have last season when they had Milano and everybody back. Well, right? This defense has looked different. It's grown. And so while I like I while I think the idea is an interesting one, trading McDermott very much feels like something that a franchise that's immediately going to fall off a cliff would do. I, right? You've had this coach who's built this culture, who's brought all these guys in and had this level of success, and to say, you know what, we're going to trade him and bring Dable back. By the way, hasn't looked that good in New York. This season, he had all pieces added in all-star tight end, and they haven't done any. With Brian Dable, I feel like they got breaks last year. They won tight games. They got breaks last year. They won every coin flip game last that, year. That was the difference the between Giants. a losing record and a winning. And the fact that Dable comes in year one, kind of just backs his way into the playoffs. McDermott has never once won coach of the year, and Dable just comes in first year, wins it. Ha! Yeah, it, it, it's been a struggle. But, um, all right, that, that scenario was just hypothetical. Something I just threw out. Was I serious? Absolutely not. No. And you mentioned culture. That's one. He transformed the culture. It was a mess when Rex Ryan was here. Say what you want. From the outside looking in, I'm not inside the locker room. I'm not at press conferences, but I can tell you from outer space, you could see that culture was a mess. And McDermott completely within one year started to turn and transform that culture that this is a place that players want to be, that free agents want to be. We credit Brandon Bean. What Sean McDermott has done on the field, what he's built, is a big reason that players want to come play in Buffalo. You can say Josh Allen. There's a lot of factors why free agents want to come here. But I think what McDermott has built, what he's made, has been extremely valuable. And, you know, you can criticize, you know, he challenged the wrong play. Um, he may have his, his hand too heavy in the offense. That may be, but big picture-wise, what he's done with this franchise and completely turning it around, give the front office credit, give the guy with the X's nose in the locker room, building the culture, give him a lot of credit too. 100%, Brad. And I think, you know, being a McDermott, both, they both have a huge hand in in this rebuild, right? They They're have a team. A huge They're a tandem, in this, right? That's why we call and them. And not only that, and not only that, it, it's one of those times where um, fans now expect this to be a world beater franchise. Can you imagine six years ago? Being like an 11-win season might be a failure. If the Bills got 11 wins 
six years ago, people would be losing their mind. People would, it wouldn't have even been fathomable. You talked about this team like it was, hey, we're just going to sneak. If we can sneak into the playoffs, that'd be great. If we can just get in by the hair of our chin, that'd be great. And the first year McDermott has this team, he does exactly that. He gets into the playoffs with Terod Taylor, LaShawn McCoy, a crack load of that. Um, Lorenzo Alexander. Everything that, yeah. And so it is one of those times where, sure, you can say that, you know, hey, this is unacceptable because it is. This team's too talented to be in the position they're in. However, you also have to admit for all the fans out there being like, fire McDermott, get rid of it. You got to admit he is the reason why we are where we are right now. Without McDermott and Bean, we do not have the level of success we had. In all honesty, you know what we would have done? We would have drafted Josh Rosen. We would have <laughs> made every bad mistake along the way. And this, this group has with ownership, has really made a concerted effort to build a culture of success here. And I think you know, they, we have gotten so accustomed to being an elite world-beating team that we almost forgot that you can win close games, that you can eke one out, that every other team in this league is trying to win. <laughs> you know, sometimes it feels like even at the trade deadline, it felt a little bit like this, where fans would be like, well, why didn't you trade for this guy? And it's like, well, the thing about trades is you need to have two partners. You can call and say, hey, I want Patrick Sertan. I'll give you a first for him. However, if Denver doesn't want to trade him, you can't complete a trade. All right, winding down this podcast here, Alex, final thoughts. The Bills start to enter must-win season. Now, luckily for them, the AFC is incredibly must. Does that make it, it more is, fun it for the fans? Must-win. Do or die. That anxiety, it hurts, it stings, it makes you run through a brick wall. I'm sorry to interrupt, and, Alex, and but I got to ask. No, I, I agree. I also think for the players, Brad, you know, it might force Diggs or Allen's hand where they go and say, hey, we got to stop this. Like, Coach, I respect you. Let us do our thing. Let Dorsey call his place. We can't have you meddling in our room because you are not minded in the way we are. You are a Toyota Corolla driver. That's fine. You know why? Because a majority of people in this world drive Toyota Corollas. It's one of those popular cars in the world. We are a Konsek Agra R. We are a Lamborghini. We are any other hot McLaren. We are a super hard, highly tuned for precision and for speed. And you know what? We need to play that way. Let us go out there and play our game. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Buffalo Bills Draft House Podcast. Reminder to uh, follow our work at drafthousesports.com at facebook.com slash Buffalo Bills Draft House. Across Twitter at DHS Buffalo at TW Callahan DHS at Bills Bruiser. All right, that's going to do it for this edition. For Alex Jones, I'm Brad the Bruiser Icorn. Go Bills.
This has been the Buffalo Bills Draft House Podcast. Available on Spotify, Odyssey, Prime Music, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast. An R Street Media production.